today, listener. Wham, bam, Zamparini. Not just a manager firing meanie. With Palermo sold for 10 euros to David Platt, I may be simplifying that a little, we look back at the crazy days of the Rosanera under Maurizio Zamparini. Pink shirts, cult players, P45s the lot. Oh, also, all the other news ahead of the big one this Friday, Juventus Inter. Hello, Gabriele Marcotti. Hello. Hello, James Horncastle. Hello, James. I'm looking forward to today. It's got a little bit of everything. Cult players, Viagra, my favourite Serie A goal of all time, I think. And it, it's all kind of prompted by this news of the sale of Palermo by uh, Maurizio Zamperini, who's been its owner since 2002. The club bought by... Global Future Sports Entertainment, an investment fund in London, or somebody they represent. London Fog, indeed, was how the Gazetta uh, described it on uh, Wednesday morning, because it's not entirely clear who's, who's, who's really behind this. Might just be one entity involved in this takeover, because there was a uh, press conference yesterday. Basically, David Platt, who is a consultant, uh, flew in with this guy, Clive Richardson, um, and they just gave a series of one-word answers or no answers at all. Oh, David Platt gave quite a lengthy answer David in Italian, actually. Noi siamo dall'Inghilterra, neanche io ho visto le partite, quindi io non posso entrare. Noi non possiamo entrare pensando che cioè, la squadra ha bisogno di questo, la squadra ha bisogno di questo. Per quello che abbiamo fatto questa gita, per, per venire qua. Good to have Platti back in... in um, in Italy, I, sorry, David Platt back in. This, in yeah, because when you mention that, this propitiates yeah. one of my favorite David Platt <laughs> media anecdotes. Yeah. My, my buddy Dave Clark, who does a darts on Sky. Absolutely. Back in the early days of, of Sky Sports News, he was hosting something and he had David Platt and he referred to him as Platty on the air. Then it goes to the break and he said something to the effect of, only my mates Call me Platy. And you're not one of them. That's right. Are you one, James? I mean, you did so many skits with <laughs> We did skits, David. We? Well, anyway, David back in, in the day uh, was a player at Sampdoria and then returned as a manager. He says, I'm here to help a hand. And he seemed a little bit as in the dark as to the details of the takeover as, as, as anybody. But there's so much. You know, when you start to kind of look back at what Zamparini's done and what Palermo did in his time as the owner it's it's pretty amazing Zamprini himself now 77 signed off by saying I feel like a widower because it's been an intense relationship there Gab it has although this guy is such an oddball freak that like I kind of <laughs> I kind of think that it's been intense but mm. this is the kind of stuff that keeps him alive he thrives he lives off of daily aggro and, and controversy and nothing simple and nothing straightforward with him. A little bit like your, your Portuguese friend at the Lowry. You know, like, like nothing is easy. Everything is hard fought. Every day is a struggle. And that's what Zamparini is. Mm. Do An we think he's done? Because yeah, he's not a widower. You know <laughs> well, that just... When was it? A couple of years ago? When was it? Four or five years ago when he sold to nominally an American investment fund who took the unusual step of appointing a comedian, a tattooed a pierced comedian. Do you a remember former Paul? MTV kind of mm. presenter? Well, he was on Le Ieni, the Hyenas, which is a satirical news show in, in Italy. And he was a former presenter there, American, I think, by birth. Paul Baccalini, was it? Yeah. And he was going to be the president. And he was there for three months. The Ieni turned up and told him to get a tattoo. And he did. 
he got a tattoo of the club. I thought it was Palema Ultras who did that. Oh, was it? Yeah, I thought it they was knocked the... on his hotel room door and, and kind of, you talk about fit and proper persons tests <laughs> that various uh, federations imposed. This was their version of that. To show you a real Palermitano or something like that, let's have a tattoo, which he went with because he's got so many tattoos anyway, in- lost, including one down there as well. Urban legend has it, but he... Uh, disappeared as quickly as he appeared. Well, the money wasn't there, and so Zamperini took back control and has been looking for a, a buyer ever since until he found, as announced this week, Gab, the global, what was it, global future sports <laughs> yeah. entertainment. So it just occurred to me that yeah. if you were, say, an elderly Italian man who didn't speak any English, but, you know, you could go and Google English words and put them together, this is precisely what you would call your company, hypothetically. Global Future Sports Entertainment. It's one mm. of those things that means absolutely nothing yeah, and nobody's and yet, ever heard if of. You wanted to, if you wanted to spell out your vision for the club, that's pretty much what I'd call it. It's got global, <laughs> it's got future, it's got sport, and above all, it's got entertainment. Yeah. Palermo's been one thing under the oddball freak that is Zambrini, to borrow your expression. It has been entertaining. Uh, Italy famous for its colourful owners. He is kaleidoscopic. Let's go back to 2002 and the advent of Zamperini. It is 2002. How are you doing, listener? That's Liga Bue. We're all listening to him with Questa la mia vita. Rocking the uh, the summer soundtrack of many Italians, Palermo are down in City B. They've been down. They've been outside the top flight for 32 years. Franco Sensi, the man who brought the Scudetto back to Roma, has tried to rescue them but take them nowhere. And Maurizio Zamparini buys Franco Sensi's shares. Uh, Zamparini, of course, had been at Venezia where he'd had huge success as well. Cab. Yeah, until he decided he. <laughs> You like Palermo, and it's it's really sort of like the worst kind of, I don't know, old school chauvinist machismo, you know? It's like you're dating one girl, and then all of a sudden you just dump her because somebody who you think, ideally it would be somebody you think is hotter, but in reality it's somebody who you think simply has more money and then mm-hmm. you can get more money from. Mm-hmm. And Zamparini being sort of the, the Lothario that, that he is, or potential Lothario. Certainly when it comes to football clubs, that's what he does. He yeah, does, there's a big Lothario <laughs> section later on in, in today's Galazzo. <laughs> he does a whole bunch of it was a whole bunch of transfers where essentially bad players go from Palermo to Venezia. Well also I mean they were good players go the other way. They were having pre season in the in the same part of Italy. Um, and he just decides one day to get a bus together. Um, and put 14 Venezia players on that bus with the coach and the sporting director, take them to where Palermo were having their pre-season and basically just dumped them there and saying, this is our new team, this is our new club. Roberto Pruzzo was the coach of Palermo at the time and was basically promptly shown the door after a day. Um, And that's it. It sort of reminds me of like when an NFL team sort of up sticks from one city to the other and they just pack everything up in the middle of the night. And then, and then go somewhere else. It's global and it's the future. He also ended up 
bankrupting Venezia mm. in the, in the process, basically stripping all the assets and mm. sticking them. Well, he'd um, found them bankrupt, I suppose, in his defence. They were down in Cidue and he, he picked them up, fused them with their hated local rivals, <laughs> Mestre, created the ugliest club shirt anywhere in Italy. I think that's fair to say, no? Orange, well, the black, orange is in it is, is from Mestre, yeah. isn't it? So they've just for, imposed that. For those that. who don't know, Venezia or Venice is basically a bunch of, mostly a bunch of islands. Mm-hmm. And Mestre is the bit on the mainland where you have industry. And, I mean, they're so close, but by the same token, these were two teams that had their own identity. You know, Venezia had been in Serie A for, for a bunch of years, many years ago. I think, am I anything they won a Coppa Italia too? Yeah. Um, Valentino Mazzolo was, was part of that mm. team before he moved to Torino and became part of the Grande Torino. A club with a big history and tradition, I suppose, relatively speaking. And of course, since he's such a wonderful owner, after buying Mestre and talking about how he's going to reform everything, he immediately went and Venezia had this uh, stadium, the, the Penzo, Penzo which, is, which is on an island, and it looks kind of like a toxic waste dump. It and does not. Gab, it really doesn't. Okay, so <laughs> admittedly, it's not very accessible. It's because the oldest it's- stadium in Italy. There you go. Still being used. And it, it, it essentially looks like they built it as a temporary structure and it, it's still there, kind mm. of, what, 100 years on or, or whatever. It's right at the end, the archipelago of 128, I think it is, islands that make up the city of, of Venice. It's the furthest one out. And it's sat there right next to a kind of like marina. So you've all these bobbing masts next to it. I always found it quite charming. And the nice thing about it is that teams have to go there by motoscafo. They arrive mm. on these kind of slipper launches and yeah, come out. But but anyway, we were going to talk about Palermo. Been, nobody's, nobody's put a screw into it. Mm. Since like the 1930s, this that's is the absurdity true. of it. And yeah. he goes in, and of course he Pinocchio's his way, talking about he's going to build like a big stadium on the mainland, blah blah blah. And well, he says, and we, we, I think we can all agree, it is difficult often to get the red tape and the, the bureaucracy all in line to build a stadium, right. especially when you don't have any money. And all you do is whinge and want the government to pay for everything yeah. for you. Yeah, and he well, was like, everyone here, they're all tourists. I can't get anyone in the stadium to basically buy things. I want to build a new ground near the airport. I'm going to put one of my supermarkets in. Because remember, right. this is what Zamperini's fortune is from. He is the king of supermarkets. Mercantoni Zeta. Yeah. MZeta. MZeta. La qualità e i prezzi più bassi d'Italia. There you go. You're listening to Galazzo, the totally Italian football show. In the midst of all of this, he takes Venezia from Cidue to city out in eight years and probably about 80 managers and then he loads them up in a bus and takes over at Palermo where more of the same was to come in the shadow of Monte Pellegrino the club that had had only a smattering really of top flight seasons in in certainly the post-war history were back in the top flight within two campaigns with Francesco Guidolin as manager and with a certain Luca Toni scoring the goals. They come up and they go straight into the UEFA Cup. Yeah, and uh, they paid, what, six million for, for Luca Toni to bring him from Brescia to, to Palermo. And that team set all kinds of records until they went down again. When was it? 2013. And, uh, and they came up again and just completely romped their way back into the top flight. But uh, that team, famously, I think it was we touched upon with, with Toni, had what? four or five mm. World Cup winners, uh, part of the 2006 squad in it. Some cult heroes as well. Oh, Franco yeah. Pienza. I mean, you know, you're clearly not a Zamperini fan, Gab, which is unusual <laughs> for you. But I'm sure that there are plenty of these. I know that there's one in particular you get very excited about. Uh, while looking at you know some of their past players, I found a Palermo 11, a kind of Zamperini-era Palermo 11, who they had lining up uh, with Sirigu in goal, 
the bat line of Damian. Future Paris Saint-Germain. Mm-hmm. Damian. Future Manchester United. Zaccardo. World Cup winner. World Cup winner. Grosso. World Cup winner. Vasquez. <laughs> oh, Vasquez. He just too bad. Uh, El Mudo, yes. Sevilla star. Have El you Mudo seen? Vasquez. There is a clip on YouTube of Vasquez um, playing like a, a friendly for uh-huh. Palermo where he nutmegs the same guy twice. <laughs> and then as he goes past him, another guy comes to try and take the ball from him. He nutmegs him as well. Three nutmegs in the space of about five seconds. Also in midfield, Pastore. Pastore! A front three of Dybala, whatever happened to him. Luca Toni. Future God and World Cup winner. Mm-hmm. This man. Cavani! Uno, uno! Cavani! Un gol straordinario! Cavani. And uh, perhaps your favourite player of all time, right in the heart of it all, Gabriele. Eugenio Corini. Eugenio Corini, il genio. The man they think of the genius. Right. The um, WWE superstar, known as the genius, of course, was inspired by Eugenio, by Eugenio Corini. Corini. Many people, so, so many sportsmen. Many you know. people don't know that. <laughs> right. well, and that's, that's just 11. I mean, you would have a crowded bench, not least with the 30 or 40 managers that, that, that Zamperini had. <laughs> so the, in all, okay. he had uh, 42 different managers between Venezia and Palermo. See, now I've got, another, I've got various different numbers. So at Palermo, mm. 16 years, 45 times he fired the manager, yeah. 34 managers involved because he, he would often bring a manager back and then fire them again. The figure I had for Venetian Palermo, but about yours, was actually like in the 50s in 29 years. But what, what have you got again? He goes out on a half century. Half 50. century. But Not I think a... when Cellino catches up with him, Zamperini will buy another club <laughs> just to keep his record. Just for people who might not know, the reason it may seem like a weirdo thing that we do in Italy, because we saw it with your age and so on. You will see it when Ballardini returns. The reason managers get fired and then come back in Italy is that Italian clubs, after they sack somebody, they don't like to go and uh, and agree severance because they just kind of assume it's cheaper for me to keep this guy on contract and hope that he gets a job somewhere else in the meantime because people are constantly getting hired and fired. Mm-hmm. And that way I might actually be due some compensation later than having to basically pay this dude to go away. Well, Zamperini holds, even amongst the crowded field of Mangialanatori, he holds pretty much all the records. He is the only club owner to fire a manager after a victory twice in the same season. This was the 2015-2016 campaign when Giuseppe Iacchini got the bullet on the 12th match day. Seven games later, Zamperini fired Davide Ballardini after a victory. Ballardini, who likes to go to Genoa to work on the Preziosi and get sacked, brought back, sacked again. Cagliari with Cellino back in the day and Zamperini. I mean, he loves working for these... He's Mangialinatori, as you say. Mm, that campaign, by the way, in 2015-2016, Zamperini, that's his, he's never going to beat that. Eight changes of manager that year. Iacchini, Davide Ballardini, Fabio Viviani, Giovanni Bosi, Giovanni Tedesco, who was uh, alongside Guillermo Barroscheletto. Oh, my, that was mental when he brought him over and he couldn't coach because he didn't have a license. I mean, that was... And then you had Giovanni Bosi again, and then Iacchini back again, who'd started the whole chain off, but he wasn't finished. Then he brought in Walter Novellino, who he'd had back at Venezia. And then, yeah, and then finally, oh, it's Davide Balladini for a third time. <laughs> Balladini must be the most sacked manager in Serie A history, no? You just know he's got a fetish for like, certain... <laughs> 
Well, you even look at him, right? The way he wears his stupid sunglasses 11 months out of the year and the shape. People said like, ooh, Ballardini. He's just like Saki because they both come from the same part of the world and neither one is hair. But no, he's nothing like Saki. He's... <laughs> He's basically a walking doormat. You know? Can we, um, just while we're on the subject of Palermo, can we address the, the topic of the pink shirts? I'd always understood that the reason that they play in pink is that the original kit was red and blue and that it was badly laundered back in the early 1900s. That was the, that's the story I heard. I don't know. I'm not okay. from Sicily. I'm very happy to stay with that one. Yeah, it's, it's a good story. But it is also true, and I also confirm in our second professional wrestling reference of this podcast, um, that kit was also the inspiration for the Hart Foundation. Okay. Bret Hart and Jim the Anvil Neidhart. This is so <laughs> pink and black attack. Yeah. Okay. okay. So um, we touched on some of the players that were there in that period. And we should also mention, I mean, and whatever you think about Zamponi's methods, they brought success. They came up, they went straight into the UEFA Cup. That first season, Guidolin brought them up. Guidolin, who was kind of the Elizabeth Taylor to Zamponi's Richard Burton, though, they kept... They would fall in love, they would break up, etc. By the way, you can't imagine two more distinct personalities, right? Guidoline is nerdy, super serious, super devout Catholic. All he talks about is football, his faith, and his bicycle, right? Mm. Nothing else. Yeah. He loves like uh, doing the Giro d'Italia, like what a day. Doing the Zoncola. A day before the yeah. stage happens, yeah. yeah. Zamparini, on the other hand, well, we probably touched upon though that he's you know sort of supposedly self-made entrepreneur, brash, loud. Puts his logo is, is with his initials on everything. It reminds you of somebody. At one point, remember he got involved in politics. Mm. He, he got the he, Tea Party. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, no, that and the uh, the, the Pitchfork movement. Mm. What like, was the Pitchfork movement? It, Movimento de Forconi, it was called, right? <laughs> and I, this is serious. Now, this is this is the stuff. Sicily is a wild and wonderful place. This is where you. He basically. <laughs> At this sort of party of like know nothings, and and it was like this idea that like politicians, left, right, or center, they're always screwing us over. The only way to do this is to get get our pitchforks out and chase and our them out of the village, like chase was... them out of the village. Yeah, like like back to medieval times. And and because there's all these layabouts in Italy who don't do anything and and stuff, there's only people with time on their hands during the day. It's like you see people in bars and stuff, and you know, at like three o'clock in the afternoon. He got all these idiots to go. He gave them these pitchforks. I mean, you're genuine pitchforks. <laughs> yes. And and they'd go and they'd halt traffic and they'd make noise whenever there was a camera about. In the end, it wasn't that many people, but it was so much noise. And it turns Amparini to such a nuisance. With hindsight, I wonder if it wasn't a brilliant scam on his part to basically go and get, you know, local political favors and stuff. All right, you know, I'll get my pitchfork people to go away. I'll hold them off. Yeah, I'll yeah. hold them off for you. I'll, I'll negotiate, you know, <laughs> with the angry villagers. Well, Guidolin, I think on one of the occasions he was sacked, suggested that um, there's some contestazione, you know, there's a big protest in the Curva which was aimed at getting rid of him and he, he felt that was orchestrated by the club. Right. But Zamperini really needed no excuse um, to get rid of a manager. But as you mentioned, Guidolin probably, I think there are two quote-unquote great Palermo sides in the Zamperini era. There's Guidolin's, which gets them up and gets them into the UEFA Cup. Mm-hmm. Um, in the first season, where what they they play West Ham in they the do, first they... round. Yep, Tevez, Javier Mascherano, I think made their debut. Was it in the in the first game? Possibly Pardew. Yeah, Pardiola. Um and they beat them at Upton Park, and then they absolutely wiped the floor with them three 0 Three 0 Yeah, um, at the Favorita, 
In fact, they were in the UEFA Cup for three straight years. I'd forgotten this, but they were a real force. You know, they were one of those teams that was kind of always there on the edges of the, the European places. Until they kind of, for me, ended up symbolising how Italians just did not take the Europa League seriously when they played, what, FC Thun from Switzerland in the fourth qualifying round and decided just to not do anything and got knocked out. Mm. But the second one that I was I, going to mention yeah. is Delio Rossi's yeah. Palermo side, which I think was probably the most hipster, most talented. In that it had, what, El Flaco Pastore, Josip Iliciclone, Ilicic. Oh, you haven't even mentioned Ilicic. Well, there's, yeah. there, there's loads of players. You know, we haven't mentioned Mikuli, the all-time top scorer. For mm. Mikuli, the man with the Che Guevara tattoo. The man who took on the might of Luciano Maggi and lived to tell the tale. The man who bought a earring at auction. That was Diego Maradona's for 25,000 euro. Magnificent. Yeah. Another player we haven't mentioned, Amaury. Oh. Amaury. <laughs> Crazy. Who was sold for 22 million euro to Juventus. One of the flops of that, uh, so we say, ill-fated post-Calciopoli time when they got back up. Mm. This was pre-Marotta. This was Alessio Secco, wasn't it? Secco. Yeah, Alessio Secco, who was, who was the press secretary when I was in Italy. So yeah, Whose last name means dry. Yeah. Mm. It's certainly two great periods and a whole incredible run of By the way, Ani Lichich, yeah. once you finish listening to this podcast, or if you can multitask, do it now, there's a YouTube clip of possibly the greatest assist I have seen in Serie A history. Okay. And it's Ilicic doing like impossible illogical things with his like bandy legs. You, you, you must remember this. Yeah. So he does like a. Uh, Which, uh, I think it's against Kievo. Kievo. Um, and he's having Ilicic assist Palermo. Like it'll come up. He is sur- <laughs> surrounded by players, and he like sort of nimbly moves past one, and then he looks like he's going to do a Cruyff turn. But what he does is he lifts the ball over over like two defenders doing that. And I think what sets up Pastore, it's a ridiculous Who piece of skill. the shot, I think. Yeah. But right. yeah. Wait, once you finish looking at that, then do check out uh, my favourite Serie A goal of all time. Unfortunately, all you can find of it is really, really bad, far away footage of it. Yeah. A, a Thank very you wide in shot. Front. Hmm? Thank you in front. <laughs> Yeah, so in front who were producing basically the worldwide feed. But your favourite, Eugenio Corini, with a free kick. They're playing Regina. This is, I think, 2006. And ball floats in. Giuseppe Biava, who was, what, a centre-half? Centre-back. The ball is kind of behind him. So he dives forward and flicks it in with his heel over his head. Absolutely extraordinary. It's really hard to see how he does it because the footage is so bad, but it was just... Just amazing. Anyway, yeah, that was the great Delia Rossi side that went to the Coppa Italia final with uh, Inter, no? Yeah, and um, this was a time when Palermo would regularly go to Juventus um, and win. I think they did it three years running um, with uh, Pastore, Cavani, Ilicic. I mean, you have to look at some of the names in those Juventus sides that had just come up from the second division. Marco Motta, Grigera, Mohamed Sissoko. Thiago Mendes, who actually did pretty well at Chelsea and then went on to do well at Atletico. But, um, yeah, but he still had Buffon and Del Piero and all these other dudes too. Like, Milo, Milos Krasic, you know. <laughs> but the, the thing about Palermo in that run, and, and Palermo's always kind of been this conundrum, obviously, because football's massive in, in Sicily. But you've had this weird phenomenon in Italy where for 101 reasons, Juventus have historically been the biggest team in Sicily, despite being from a thousand miles away. For example, when they had to play UEFA, was it UEFA Cup or Champions League games out of, do you remember when they went down to Palermo and held uh, matches there? 
And they, yeah, that's right, sold, yeah. they sold the stadium out because... The, yeah, I mean, whenever they go to the South, I mean, mm. you remember those Crotone games that we've recently seen. I mean, there's that there's that uh, slightly derogatory saying of um, Juve in trasferta, Calabria deserta. Well, right, which is, right. Juve, yeah. away from home, the streets of Calabria are empty. <laughs> it has to do with, with migration patterns in the 50s and 60s when a lot of these people from the South came up north to, to work in, in, in terrain. And, although I never fully bought that justification because of course those people are all still in Turin mm. so I could see those guys being Juve fans but I don't know is it their cousins who stayed behind I, I don't know but it's always been an issue Palermo is by population I think they're the sixth biggest city in Italy in fifth the, or yeah. sixth and obviously Sicily's not a wealthy region and, and obviously Palermo's had some very real issues and, and, and problems as a city so it's always kind of been this holy grail you know can you unlock Palermo can you turn Palermo into this is what global future sports. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm sure that, you know, if you imagine what global future sports entertainments prospectus to investors might mm -hmm. have been, if it exists, and I don't know if it does, but if they were to do a roadshow, this would be part of it. They would talk about the potential of Palermo, a massive city, a football mad population, right. a lot of tourism, international airport, all this jazz. and A team that's currently on top of Serie B and that very nearly came up to the top flight just last summer. Oh, that was hilarious. Got beaten by Frosinone in the promotion playoff 3-2 by essentially Frosinone throwing footballs onto the field every time Palermo broke up field. Yeah, man of the match uh, in those games were the Frosinone ball boys. Um, who It was the reason why Frosinone started the season having to play away from uh, the Benito Stirpe because um, I think they played their first game which was a home game in, in Torino as punishment for the anti-sporting uh, behaviour that their ball I mean, boys displayed. <laughs> it's extraordinary that that was the only thing that happened to them. But there you go. Well, anyway, um, I, for one, wish Palermo's new owners the best of luck at the Favorita with their attempts to get the team back in the top flight. One last thing, though, about Zamparini for now. Managers wasn't the only thing that he went through a lot of by his own admission. About five years ago, he gave an extraordinary interview to the Gazzetta della Sport where he said he'd had a thousand sexual conquests. Do you remember this? Uh, well, I remember one of the players that he signed. Right. And I think one of the things he admired about uh, him was that he was a uh, Donaiolo. He was well, a bit yeah. of a ladies' man, which that was, was uh, Kyle Lafferty. Exactly, thank you, yeah. <laughs> no, so uh, he gave this, it was in 2015. Uh, he gives an interview to the Gazzetta and he said, he basically just started talking about his all his former loves. He was a devout Catholic to begin with and so wanted to wait and now he curses all the time and opportunities he missed. And he says he must have had a thousand uh, sexual encounters starting at 16 when he lost his virginity to a teacher. He's been using Viagra for years. He says it's a one. he never signed Cassano. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> He's, he also says that he suggested, uh, he put basically Sensi, which is quite a thought, and Cecchi Gori onto Viagra. Oh, wow. And he says, uh, yeah, it's the best thing, not like Berlusconi, who has all those injections to keep his up. Wow. It was a magnificent interview. <laughs> I want to point said this the out. quote, the headline was, a me la gnocca piace moltissimo. How would you, tra <laughs> la gnocca. How would you translate that? Uh, la gnocca is like a hottie, yeah? <laughs> but <it's, laughs> yeah. Wait, so if he, he's had more than a thousand sexual partners. He's That's, 77 years old. He's lost his virginity at 16. Yep. 
So but, that's an average of what, 16 or 17 a year? Yeah, no, more than that, because uh, that was all before he got married with his second wife and he's very, very much uh, monogamous, he was wow. uh, stressing. Wow, in between, in between <laughs> wives. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. He just turned off the tap. Amazing. Abs- um, absolutely. We should probably move on to what happened last weekend, and perhaps more importantly, what's going to happen this Friday. We'll do that after this. So this weekend, well, this Friday night, actually, Juventus taking on Inter at the Allianz Stadium on the Friday because Juve, of course, have young boys on whenever night that is next week, Champions League and Inter. Absolutely. The old lady with the young boys again. Yeah, again. Yeah. And Inter have and they, PSV. They need to prepare having already qualified well, yeah, playing a, a team of like But Inter do because they have this huge game Heidi. with PSV. Anyway, for whatever reason, they're playing on the Friday. I'm delighted because it means that can focus on that. It's not going to have a billion other things going on at the same time. Mm-hmm. Inter 11 points behind Juve. They're not going to catch them. Not this weekend. Or any weekend, I'm thinking. But beating them in Turin, Gab, for an Inter fan, would that be almost as good? They became the first team to beat Juventus at the Allianz Stadium back in the uh, Bene Bene Andres Ramaccioni days when he was the... Uh, Poor old Strama. I'm child genius yeah. of, of the Italian game. Uh, but let's not forget, Inter played really well in these games last year. I think they drew at the Allianz um, no, before no, Christmas. Think, yeah. And then they played that incredible game, what, at the end of April last year, when they were down to 10 men and leading against Juventus at San Siro. And, and then Juventus came back, Higuain scores that late winner, and basically the title race is done because Napoli well, in the lost Pjanic game. the Pjanic game, where he should have been sent off. Just a little bit. Can they do it, Gab? Yeah, of course they can. Um, no, go on, but you know what I mean. What do you think? <laughs> Juve, after all, have just faced another of their big rivalries away at Fiorentina, and that went pretty well for them. <laughs> it, certainly, it certainly did. Um, Look, when Fiolini's scoring scissor kicks with his weaker foot, you know you're, you know you're screwed. <laughs> 3-0 Juve winning at, at, at Fiorentina last weekend. What do you think is going to happen I think time? it's more down to Inter than it is down to them. I mean, yes, there's a scenario where Cristiano is so disappointed at the mortal snub. And if you're not doing anything funny, go check out Cristiano's sister's Instagram um, complaining about him not winning the Ballon d'Or again. But I think it's really difficult for, like, Inter can only really focus on one thing at a time, maybe two things. So I thought they played okay against Roma, and they certainly showed character and, you know, trying to go head to head. And that came after the huge psychological exertion of, of Wembley on Wednesday where I thought they played really well, yeah. you know, by what they are against Spurs and then ultimately they lost. But um, for them to do this three times in a row, because this is what we talk about when it comes to Inter, I think especially with, with Spalletti's team, right? I mean, Italian managers and Spalletti's one who talks about getting, you know, the right psychological tension, which means sort of you know, winding his players and just enough that they're sort of hungry and motivated, but then you do it too much and then, like, they, 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 they sort of fall apart mentally. I don't know that they can do that. I don't know about, you know, Vicino, like, because it would be three games in the space of not many days for him. And I think a lot of things would have to fall into place. But, you know, maybe this is the game where where all of a sudden he believes in Lautaro, makes his dad happy and, <laughs> and, and throws him a curve. I'd like to see something different from Inter. Like, I'd like to not see Perisic. You know, yeah, and one player who's really in form at the moment is, is Keita. Keita Baldidiao, who's come alive and I think he's got three in his last two games. Um, and 
seems to have gone through that sort of integration period. I think their wingers who they signed in, in the summer, Politano and, and Keita, have probably been their, their best, most impactful summer signings. I think in absolute terms, yes, Nyingle and DeVry are the better players, but those two guys. And we've seen, um, particularly on one side, Cancelo likes to get forward, likes to think of himself as someone who's basically an attacking player. He thinks he's Danny Alves. Yeah, I think there's space, space to be got at there. Bonucci doesn't like to to mark in the box anymore. Um, I think you can you can cross and get at them that way. I mean that's where a lot of their the goals that they've shipped so far this season have come from. And then you've got Mauro Icardi, and Icardi only needs half a chance to score two goals, particularly against Juventus. Yeah, Player yeah. of the Year named on 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 Monday by his peers is the uh, the Gran Galle del Calcio. Is, yeah, I think uh, purposely don't vote for you, the guys, but you know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's a good point. I also wonder if Allegri isn't gonna do his whole sort of psychological stuff and maybe not play Bonucci in this game mm. precisely for the reason for the reasons you state this is not a good fit for Bonucci and he's got so many options and you know he's like oh look I'm resting him you know mm. yeah. alright well it's coming up on on Friday we'll, we'll react to that of course next week one or two other thoughts of it, a quick word on Roma who only drew and really should have had more they had a very very clear cut penalty Denied them uh, before. Was it, was it that clear it cut? It was absolutely. It clear was. It cut. was. It was clear cut on the VAR. It wasn't clear cut. I mean, I think. Well, that's. But they have VAR. No, I so know. That was extraordinary that they didn't. Totti went it, absolutely crazy after this game. Well, he went crazy. I mean, he was just. He's being quite. Um, he was joking around, saying, "What was the VAR doing? Yeah. Was he asleep? What game was he watching?" <laughs> Yesterday, actually, you know, the the, the VAR for. Um, I mean, it's not used yet in the Premier League, but the VAR room for for England is mm. is at Stockley Park, Stockley Park IMG, where I, I was yesterday, and it's a big sealed glass box, and it has like special part you can't get in, you can't see in. It's like a self-contained little cell. It's very. I really want to see inside, but anyway, sorry, we digress. The question I was going to ask about Roma was that, despite the fact that they maybe could have taken two points more. This was a very positive performance. Players had injured like Dzeko, but really uh, better showings from the likes of Schick, a glorious kind of backheel pass mm-hmm. to set up. Uh, scored a great goal. Under, yeah, absolutely. Which, you know, was a bit of redemption for the miss that he had against Real Madrid. Zaniolo, again, mm. was uh, really impressive. Earning what would have been that penalty had it been given. And Clivert as well, I thought, did all right. Yeah, I think there's some positives. And, and given what Di Francesco had complained about after the Real Madrid game, it's that when we concede, we stop playing. You know, they went behind twice in this game and came back and got themselves a, a point. But, you know, I think the big winners of the weekend, along with Juventus, would be would be Milan, who took advantage of Lazio dropping points against Chievo. Lazio currently in Ritiro. Um, both Inzaghi brothers in a in a spot of bother um, at the moment. Obviously, Roma and Inter dropped points, and Milan, who played Ignazio Abate and Zapata at the back, somehow able to come back from behind and get a result against the flying Parma side. Mm. Um, and again, Gattuso, it just seems to confound what I thought when he got the job. Three different systems in a week, and they've got what three results. And they've got this horrendous injury crisis. Higuain's been now suspended for all of this. And they keep finding why Coutrone as well, doing well. So who needs Ibra? They're in fourth place, ahead of Lazio, who could only draw with this podcast's favourite team, Chievo. Uh, Shout out to Chievo and their recently appointed manager, Mimo Di Carlo, who's doing a fantastic job there, Gab. And also I know you'll want to salute... Especially after we waxed eloquent about Luca Toni being top scorer at 38, Sergio Pellissier uh, with 
Kievo's goal. He's 39. I have a bit of simpatico for Pelissier mm. because of those nice words he dedicated to Giampiero Ventura when he left. Mm. But yeah, I, I think one thing we realize in Serie A is that, especially if you're on a bad team, if you're a big, strong, smart striker who, you know, as the joke goes, like, you know, you never had any pace so you don't lose it. I mean, and you, you get your half chances on set pieces and whatnot and you belt the ball from 30 occasionally it goes in and that's why hey, Pelicia's has got more goals into the other than Marco Van Basten. What? All right, all I love Pelicia. Right, all I love right. Pelicia. Shakwati the booker. Wash your mouth <laughs> out with soap. Don't mention. Don't, don't, don't mention. Has he got more goals than Pippo Inzaghi who as you say like Here his brother is, is struggling. Mm. Uh, Bologna beaten 4-1 by uh, Sampdoria featuring another old timer Fabio Quagliarella who got a brace. Um, and they're in the bottom three now, Bologna. Is he going to last the week, do you think, Pippo? I think it's, uh, it's a really bad side, uh, that Bologna you've got. Really average. Um, they're one of the worst teams to watch in the league. They were uh, last year, and I think um, Donadoni did a really good job to get them into sort of mid-table. Um, the fans seem to turn on him, which I don't really understand. Um, for what you wish for. It's a classic <laughs> case of that. Um, but they thought they were getting Simone in Zagreb. <laughs> who is who is who I've I've criticized, but is you know several orders of magnitude a better coach than his brother? Probably a better footballer too. Yeah, because not as an Adil Remy, Simone Inzaghi, better footballer than Pippo. Oh, I, I suppose in technical I think terms. without question, yeah. Okay, Pippo Inzaghi had other qualities which made him a much more productive footballer. And well, it depends what you career. mean by a better footballer. You know, the oh, job I mean, that he did in football of scoring goals, Pippo was pretty exceptional at. Yeah, but the basic job of it's the famous the story when he turned it, up to, to Italy and everybody else went, who, what, you know, what competition winner is this? He can't trap a ball, he can't do anything. I mean, yeah. Super Pippo... Um, He's unique, Is a different skin. He mm-hmm. did get Venezia, we mentioned before, promoted into City B and almost got them up last year. Mm. But what I would say, Gab, Adil Rami, the better half of Pamela Anderson, did say that whilst he was being coached by Inzaghi at Milan that if he can do it then I can do it as well so unimpressed was he by wow. the <laughs> Joe Takapina and his investors might have had a little bit more to do with that mm-hmm. we'll call that a day then for this edition of Galazzo many thanks for being with us Gab my pleasure and James my pleasure as always and you listener do make sure you join us as we delve into the rabbit holes of uh, Italian football history once again do have yourselves a lovely time in the meanwhile and from all of us here it's a Rivadurci. You've been listening to Galazzo, the totally Italian football show. It's a Muddy Knees Media production, and for sales and advertising, please email sales at muddyneesmedia.com. Check out our other football shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audio Boom, and everywhere else you get your audio on demand.